Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. I'm so glad you're here, glad you're with me constantly. As you know, I like to make these podcasts short and hard-hitting. I want you to be able to listen to this in a bathroom session or a drive to work or you know, while you're cleaning the grill or just something brief to deposit something in your life and help you to learn. And so in this podcast, I'm going to step into a controversy that is troubling some of my friends in the Southern Baptist Church. Now, I'm not Southern Baptist. I love them. I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for their scholars. I'm grateful for their history. I've learned a lot from them, uh, but I'm not Southern Baptist. I grew up Methodist. Uh, I, I then became a more serious Christian about the age of 18, and I've pretty much attended interdenominational churches ever since. In, D, in Nashville, I attend a young Hapton and kind of semi-charismatic Anglican church, and in D.C., uh, I attend a gigantic four or 5,000-member African-American church that's rocking. A lot of the Redskins go there, a lot of the black congressmen and senators. So that's, that's my background, just so you know where I'm coming from from. So I love the folks in the Southern Baptist and I'm not stepping into this because I'm mad at anybody, but I want to comment on the controversy that is currently swirling around about Beth Moore. Beth Moore is a very eminent teacher, a very gifted woman. Uh, she is teaching people. She has a Bible study at her church, the Sunday school class that she, where she teaches men and women. Uh, she uh, speaks widely to both men and women, although her vibe is a bit more for uh, women. And now she's come at her some fire because she's maybe the most prominent Southern Baptist, I guess, maybe in the country, um, certainly the most prominent woman. And people are questioning whether she ought to be able to teach a man. Well, for those of you who maybe aren't Christians or haven't been involved in these kinds of things, there's long been a kind of a division in the Christian world between those who believe that women can take positions of leadership and those who believe they can't. And I'll, I'll dive into this a little bit in a moment, but just, just know for those of you, I have a lot of Jewish listeners, a lot of Muslim listeners, uh, a lot of non-atheist listeners. I'm thrilled for all of you to be here. Um, but this time I'm talking about a controversy within the Christian church that I think is important for our entire culture. And so... Uh, you need to know that this has been a tension point and that churches today, even though it hasn't been much of an open war, churches today tend to fall down on either side of this view. Let me say quickly, because I'm about to say some tough things, that uh, Beth Moore and I know each other. Uh, I haven't seen her, good Lord, in probably 15 years. Um, she spoke uh, at a church that I once led. Uh, we spoke on the phone once. I substituted for her in, a, in her Sunday school class, I believe, twice at Second Baptist Houston. This was years ago, at least more than a decade ago. Uh, easily more than a decade ago. Um, and so that's the extent of our relationship. I think we've exchanged some things on Twitter <laughs> in the last decade. Uh, so what I'm saying is uh, we're distant friends. I admire her very much. I do not work with her. I am not uh, sent to defend her in this podcast. Uh, she doesn't know I'm doing this and we aren't in regular enough contact for her to know anything about what I'm doing. So that's the level of our relationship. D deep admiration on my side, a little bit of involvement uh, in a ministry since years ago ago, a little bit of conversation. So that's important to me that you know that um, just because you, you, I want you to understand why I, what my motivation is for stepping into this. Yes, I care about Beth, but it's not, it's not primarily that. It is that I think 
that first of all, the Southern, my, my Southern Baptist friends are about to get into a big controversy and it may come up at their convention and so on. Um, and also that I, I think it's time for the Christian world to look differently at this issue than many of them have and to realize that we're living in a time when it's, when it really, this, that really requires re-examination and some better interpretation of scripture, some better, the big boy word is exegesis. Now, let me tell you right up front where I'm coming from. Uh, I do believe that women can take the lead in teaching and preaching. I have attended churches where women pastor. Uh, I have been in churches that men, uh, that women uh, don't take a lead role, and yet it's well known that they're some of the best teachers, best ministers, best counselors there. Uh, but my view is that the scriptures that people look at that tend to make them believe that women ought not take lead roles and ought, ought not to teach men and ought not to be in, in primary positions of authority, that these scriptures are somewhat historically conditioned. That doesn't make me a liberal, but these are historically conditioned. Let me explain what I mean. And I'm going to be very broad and not cite chapter and verse, but uh, I think I think you'll get the drift of what I'm saying. In the New Testament, several times, the Apostle Paul uh, says that women ought not teach a man. They ought to be quiet in the church. He doesn't permit a woman to teach and so on. Um, and, and these, of course, I believe, were these words were spoken at times when there were specific challenges happening in the first century. Uh, one of the places he says this is in his writing to the Corinthians. Well, the, the city of Corinth was dominated by a temple, by an entire cult wrapped around Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the ancient goddess of sensual love. So quite literally, uh, women who were priestesses in this cult of Aphrodite were very, really little more than prostitutes. A man would go in, he'd pay his money, he'd choose a priestess, and he would have union with the god Aphrodite by having uh, rowdy sex with the priestesses. That's what was going on. Well, as these priestesses and the men who had been in these uh, cults began to become Christians and come into the Christian church, Paul had to draw a line and he had to say, we're not behaving the way that you did when you were in the cults. We're not behaving the way we did when you served Aphrodite. There's a new thing. There's a new Lord. There's a new ethic. There's a new moral code. And so what he says about women being quiet and not being permitted to teach, I believe is a corrective to what's going on at the time in in Corinth. I just almost said the word Ephesus. The reason is that the other place where he says this is in his writing to Timothy. And when he writes to Timothy, one of his disciples, uh, Timothy is in Ephesus. Well, Ephesus was devoted to uh, the Greek god of Artemis, the Roman name for that god is Diana, and it too was a cult, and it too had immoral practices, and because this was a female deity, it too had priestesses. So as these priestesses and the various male attendants were converted to Christianity and came into Timothy's church, Paul had to raise up some standards uh, about their conduct, about them not being uh, too rowdy, too loud, too disruptive, without them not lording uh, their authority over a man, which they had been doing in their previous cult experiences. So I believe that these words that are spoken, that are often cited, need to be understood primarily as historically conditioned. And by the way, this isn't anything new. Uh, again, I know for some of you who are outside of Christianity, you're listening like Mansfield is doing some inside baseball here, but that's okay. Hang in with me and learn. Um, Many things in the scriptures were historically conditioned. For example, you'll find in the New Testament an absolute statement that women should have their heads covered when they're in church. 
But I, I got to tell you, I go to my church, great big, huge church in D.C., and a smaller church here in Nashville where I'm recording now. And it's very likely that no one of the thousands of people in the total of those two churches, no woman will have her head covered. When she reads that verse, she believes it, it, it's, it's an, uh, a, a statement, a requirement that applied to the first century, the early Christians, that doesn't apply today. In fact, I don't think... My wife, I've been married to for years and years, I don't think my wife has ever worn a hat in church, ever had her head covered. Why? Because when we read that requirement that Paul talks about, we see that as historically conditioned. We see it as applying to a specific situation in the first century. And by the way, I have to say that most Christian women see it that way. So in other words, we already have a, a hermeneutic approach. We already have an exegetical approach that says uh, this has to, these words have to be held up against the history that's being lived in at the time. We don't do that to escape requirements, moral codes and ethical requirements. We do it because it helps us understand what in the world was going on. So uh, I believe that these injunctions from Paul are about dealing with a specific situation in the first century. There are some broader principles we can draw out about mutual submission. I love Ephesians 5, for example, which is not just about a woman submitting to her husband, but about men and women submitting to each other. And Bev and I absolutely submit to each other. I'd be crazy not from time to time to defer to her wisdom. And, and she'll say she senses that a, I should watch out for a certain thing or that you know we should, we should be thinking about praying about certain directions in our lives. I listen to that. I submit to her thinking. It's not a domination cult. It's not a, it's not a beat on each other cult. Um, but absolutely when you, when you're married to someone like Bev, who's wise and learned and experienced and successful, you'd be crazy not to draw from her wisdom, make her shut up and sit down and, and draw all wisdom from me. That would be nuts. We would be a weaker family for it. So these things, absolutely, there are longstanding uh, principles in the New Testament regarding this issue of men and women that still apply to us today, but there are also those that are historically conditioned, and I think Paul was dealing with female-dominated cults in Corinth and Ephesus and the specific conditions there. Beyond that, you have situations in the Bible where women are uh, in leadership positions, you have situations. For example, um, a number of women are called co-laborers with Paul, co-ministers. He uses these words. He talks about them teaching. He talks about them ministering with him. They weren't required just to be in the kitchen and making the food for the apostolic team. Uh, he, instead, they were out there actually ministering, actually working with him. He uses those words. Um, you also have women who are who have specific spiritual gifts. Uh, Philip's daughters, for example, example in the New Testament are called prophetesses. Well, at that time, you would have had to speak in public to be a prophet. I mean, what were you going to do? Email it in? I mean, you couldn't sit it on Twitter. Uh, they didn't write it down. Uh, so these prophetesses were people who heard the voice of God and spoke to the first century church. Now, you may not believe in that, that work of the of Holy Spirit or the gifts of spirit or even that God is God. I understand. And you're welcome in this podcast if you don't. But I'm saying for those who do, for the first century church, there were women who were prophetesses. Very clear in the New Testament that that's the case. And they obviously would have been speaking publicly. 
And if we go back before the New Testament period, in the Old Testament, you have a number of women who are prominent. One of them's name is Huldah. And when they recovered, H-U-L-D-A-H, and when they recovered uh, a lost version of the Bible, some lost scriptures that they hadn't uh, been living and paying attention to for a while, when they recovered them, they went to her. She was regarded as a judge during the time of the judges. They went to her so that she could explain the scriptures to them. So clearly she was a teacher. Clearly she was a wise woman. Clearly, she was a woman uh, who understand the things, understood the things of God and could speak to the people at the time. Now, I'm not trying to do an exhaustive treatment here. I'm not trying to uh, you know, ex- exegete every passage that's related to this. If you're interested in it, there are great books and there are great ways to go. But broadly, this is where I am. And I have to say that while I certainly esteem the leaders of the Southern Baptist Church for trying to be faithful to Scripture, for trying to be faithful as Christians, I have to say that it's time for a re-examination of these Scriptures. It's time for us to recognize perhaps some misogyny and some of the uh, ways that we've interpreted and conducted ourselves. And I'm saying this next thing humorously, but I'll tell you what, some of the best men in the church are women. (laughs) What do I mean by that? Uh, Some of the best warriors, some of the best speakers, some of the best preachers, some of the best teachers, some of the best administrators, some of the most gifted people are women. And it's time for us to stop damaging our impact on our culture with bad biblical interpretation. No army would go into battle and be successful if it left at home half of its warriors. And that's pretty much what we're doing. We're actually telling uh, more than half of the Christians in the world that they can't stand up and be what they're meant to be. I got to tell you what, for Bev to be what she's meant to be, for her to use her gifts, for her to speak publicly, for her to have the impact she's meant to have, doesn't intimidate me, doesn't diminish me, doesn't mean I'm in any less of a role protecting her and loving her, doesn't mean that she's um, less in harness with me as we pursue the things of God in our lives together, uh, doesn't mean that I'm somehow diminished. Uh, We've got men are going to have to be secure, going to have to take another look at these scriptures and going to have to be uh, more willing for change that is not a matter of accommodating modern trends or societal values, but is a matter of recovering the great riches of scripture. Now, back to Beth Moore. I got to tell you, Beth Moore is one of the finest teachers of the Bible I know. Um, She's gifted. I learned from her. I'm proud of her. And I've got to tell you, any denomination, any church would be poorer to have this woman in that church and not have her in a role of prominence. She's not asking to run the show. She's not asking to be the president of the Southern Baptist Church. She's not asking for anything. Just don't hammer her while she teaches God's word to everybody who wants to hear it. I think it's time for a change. I think it's time time for a change in the Southern Baptist Church and other churches. Um, most churches that are faithful to Scripture but don't believe women taking the lead believe in something called complementarianism, which is that men and women ha- men and women have different roles uh, and and should should play their different roles. And, and one of the roles for women is not being prominent or teaching or or uh, you know certainly not teaching men. But I'll tell you what, most of the churches that hold that view, nevertheless have women uh, in roles of teaching. It's funny how, I mean, I've actually sat in Southern Baptist churches where the most successful, gigantic Sunday school class, not taught by the pastor, taught by a woman. Uh, but because she's not in the pulpit, somehow we wink at that. I'm not trying to pick a fight with anybody. I want us to calm down, breathe deep, read the Bible, be kind, and start allowing women to take the role that they need to take. 
I believe in women in leadership. I believe in teams. I believe that men and women need to be teamed together in church leadership. I think we'll be stronger for it. I think it's what scripture teaches. And I think it's time for a serious reexamination. So may my friends in the Southern Baptist Church rethink this issue and rethink it with mercy and grace and wisdom. And may all other Christian churches think through this issue wisely and calmly. And may we put our good female players in the field, our good female soldiers on the battlefield, and stop hampering our own efforts to be of impact in our culture. Thanks for listening. And for those of you who aren't Christians who attend my podcast, trust me, next week I'm likely to be up inside something very secular or something about Islam or something non-religious. But thanks for hanging in on this complicated topic in the Christian church. That's why you listen to this podcast, so you can learn about things that aren't in your immediate world. So I'm glad that you've listened to me discuss this matter that pertains to Christians. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.